0: Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford, Woking and Aldershot in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. Good morning, good morning so lovely to be with you so i feel like i'm a little croaky 18 months of not singing and then going for it there's definitely muscles there that are uh, untrained again so uh, sorry if i'm a little croaky this morning but Excited to bring the message. Um, As you know, we're in summer Sundays, which is where we sort of go off script a little bit. And we just invite the speaker for that week to pray into whatever they feel like the Lord might have for us as a family and as a community. And then last week, if you were here or you caught up online, you would have heard that Pete brought a word that as a leadership team, we really felt was from the Lord all about fathering, all about fathering. If you haven't heard it, I do strongly encourage you to catch up. And so as I was praying, I just felt like I wanted to carry on in that theme a little bit. And I want to look at the, the concept of what it means to be a child of God, a child of God. So this is my question for us this morning. How do we be a child of God? Famous theologian Sinclair Ferguson, I think, put it best when he said, Sonship to God is the apex of creation and the very goal of redemption. The apex of creation and the very goal of redemption. And so if he is right, then we need to try and get our heads around this constantly. We want to constantly be kind of preaching to ourselves a sermon, a mini-sermon of what it means to be a child of God. And so if you have a Bible there, would you turn with me to Romans 8. Romans 8. It's going to come up, up on the screen. Um, this is one of those passages of Scripture that I found is really different in different translations. And so uh, feel free to read it in your own translation or it will come up on the screen. I'm just going to read it from there. So it says this. We're going to be reading from verse 14, Romans 8:14. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. Let's pray quickly. Lord Jesus, we just ask right now, Lord, that your spirit would come. Would it reveal truths to us as we open up the scriptures Lord Jesus, we thank you that the very goal of redemption is that we would come into a revelation of our sonship and our daughtership of God. And so we pray today, Spirit, that you would be with us. Reveal to us. Transform us. Amen. Amen. And so I think, as I was preparing this, that there's really two questions which I want to tackle today. Firstly, how do I know if I'm a child of God? How do I know if I'm a child of God? And then secondly, once I know, what does that mean? What does that mean? But before we get there, I just want to tackle one thing which I think can become a bit of a stumbling block around language in this verse. As you would have heard, we uh, Paul three times uses the expression sonship. Sonship. Now, it's easy for us to think that he is just being sort of gender specific in that language. But actually what Paul is doing is he's pulling on a very standard Roman practice. Roman, high, wealthy, influential Roman uh, men, if they didn't have a male heir, in order to keep the estate within the family, they would have adopted a young male a young male, and they would have brought them, and they would have sonship. It's the word that we use, adoption. In the Greek, it's literally to sun eyes. They would have made them a son. And upon adoption, a few things happened to this young man. His old debts were paid. He received a new name, and he became heir for the full father's inheritance. The father became liable for all of his actions, and the new son had an obligation to honor and please the father. So what we're going to find is that Paul pulls, Paul pulls, <laughs> Paul pulls on all of those themes within Romans 8. But the thing that, but Paul using the term son isn't surprising. But what is surprising is that three times he uses the word son, but three times he also uses the word child of God. He jumps between the two. And actually, in using the expression child of God, synonymously with son of God, what Paul is doing is he's being deeply subversive to a male institution of privilege, reserved exclusively for young men. What Paul does by including child of God, three times, intentionally, as many times as Paul says son, he also says child of God, what he does is break down any question about whether or not this is gender-specific. And not just that, but he goes beyond that and he says that anyone can become a child. And so he broadens the scope beyond ethnic, family, imperial, legalistic, and even educational barriers. Anyone who can be a child of God can be, anyone who can be a child can be a son of God. And so today, as we look through the scriptures, just as us men, we're called to be the bride of Christ, women, you're also called to be a son of God. The Bible seems to be very comfortable with flipping between those two. And actually Paul, he subverts a system very intentionally to include everyone, everyone in what he is preaching in Romans 8. And so how do we know if we're a child of God? So we've made it clear that the invitation is open to everyone. Everyone who knows how to be a child, which I think so far is every person who's ever lived, other than maybe Benjamin Button. I think actually he even becomes a child just at the end, right? Is that right? I haven't actually seen the film, but I assume. Um, And so how do we know if we are a child of God? Well, in verse 14, Paul makes it really clear. He says that, those who are led by the spirit are the sons of god those who are led by the spirit are the sons of god and then in verse 15 he says that you have received the spirit and so becoming a child of god is actually incredibly simple all that paul is saying is it's the people who are led by the spirit spirit in the original greek and in the hebrew is the same word as the word we use for breath in greek it was the same word for breath It's this sense of the Spirit of God right back from Genesis when God breathed into humankind and made them image bearers. They received the Spirit of God. And so Paul is saying that simply those who receive the Spirit of God can be called children of God. And so we hold that together with the words of John in John 1.12. Whoever did receive Christ... To those who believed in his name, he, be, he gave the right to become children of God. So today, if you believe in the name of Christ, if you receive him as your saviour, then the Bible promises that you have received the gift of the Spirit of God. And in receiving the gift of the Spirit of God, you have become a child of God. The very goal of redemption is something that has been given to you. We receive it as a gift, just like the young man would have been adopted and been made a son. This was a legal action done on the part of the father. There is nothing that the young man could do to negotiate or win his adoption. The initiation was done by the father, and in the same way, the initiation is done by our father, in that he comes and breathes his spirit into us, and we become children of God. And even more so, there is a You know, I've heard it said quite common, it's like all humankind are like children of God, you know. And on one level, that's absolutely true. But I think the language here is important because actually in the Bible, Paul uses a different word when talking about all of humankind. He uses this word genios, and it's best translated offspring or descendants. And so he says that humankind are descendants of God. But actually what he tells us in Romans 8, that to become a child of God, this divine adoption, is when we receive the breath and the spirit of God. And why is that important? It's because it means that more than just an articulation or a realization of what's always happened is occurring. It's not simply that we've always been children of God and then finally we believe in Christ and we begin to like understand that a bit more. The Bible says that actually something different happens. As we believe in Christ, we receive the breath and the spirit of God and we are adopted into being children of God. We're all descendants, but upon receiving Christ, we become sons and daughters, children of God. And so what does that mean? Well, I'd love to just take you really quickly through five privileges that Paul um, puts up in, Roman, in that passage that we just read. Five privileges that I think that Paul shows us about becoming a child of God. Uh, if you want a way to remember it, you've got five fingers, you've got five toes. So, you know, attach one to each if you want. But the first one we're going to do, and they're going to come up on the screen. Security. So Romans 15, so the first privilege of being a child of God, security. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. So what Paul is doing is he makes a very clear difference between those who have the spirit of sons and those who don't have the spirit of slaves. So what is Paul saying? He's saying that in becoming a son, our acceptance is no longer based on our achievements. Actually, in becoming a son, we experience the unconditional love of the Father. And the good news about unconditional love is we only get to receive it when we don't meet the conditions. And in that place, we receive unconditional love. And the truth is, is that ever basing our acceptance on our achievements breeds deep fear and anxiety in us. What if we mess up? What if we don't live up to us, up to the standard? And that's why Paul says that it's slavery back into fear, but sonship releases us from that fear. I remember Hannah actually shared this story um, four or five weeks ago when she preached, but... We have Thea, you would have seen her, turn three last Saturday, dancing around. And um, remember one time, if any parents are here will know, you just kind of loggerheads all day. You know the day where just everything is a battle, like getting them up, getting them breakfast, getting them dressed, just everything becomes a battle. So I felt like I'd been at loggerheads with Thea all day. And then I went out for a run and I came home and I had some water and she was just sat in the living room. And out of nowhere, she just walks up, she just walks up to my bottle, grabs it takes a drink, walks back again, doesn't say anything. And I look at Hannah and I'm like, that's the gospel. It's been an absolute little terror all day, but she still knows if she wants to, she can walk up and steal my water. It's the unconditional love of a father. A slave doesn't act like that, but a son or a daughter does. So that's number one, security, and all of these tying together. The second one is authority. Slaves and sons and daughters act differently in the house, right? They act differently in the house. Where have you been where you felt utterly at home? Utterly at home. That you could act as a son or a daughter. That you knew you had a place. And not just a place, but you had responsibility. You weren't just there to do jobs. You were there because of who you are. The sense of authority that you walked around, you could walk around with your head held high and your shoulders bare. Bare, shoulders broad. That sense of the fact that you have responsibility and authority in the house. And then number three, moving through these quite quickly, I know, but just want to give you a sense of what Paul is saying. Inheritance. Romans seventeen. Now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Now this is like radical. So easy to read across it. But what Paul says here is we are co-heirs with Christ. Co-heirs with Christ. In the same way that Christ is God's son, we are God's son. And the full estate will be shared equally between us. Just give me a wave if that blows your mind a little bit this morning. Yeah? Co-heirs with Christ. And you know what? I think that Paul knew how radical what he was saying was. And let me show you why. Moving on to the next one. Intimacy. This could all feel a little formulaic, right? A little bit like this Roman, uh, influential Roman leader who needs to find a son, just someone to keep the estate in the family. And so, right in the middle of it, Romans 15, Paul has this incredible line. And by him, and him is important, by the Spirit, by him, the Spirit that we have received, we cry, Abba, Father. Now, this word Abba is a deeply intimate term it shows deep affection. The closest term that we have in English is the word daddy, right? And that word cry there is the word that we have. in, In the Greek, it's the word kradzo. Say that with me, kradzo. Kradzo. Kradzo is the word that all through the Gospels, it's the word that when people come and find Jesus and they cry out, to Jesus. It says they to Christ, to Jesus. It literally means to cry out in a loud voice. So what Paul is not saying is, Abba Father. What Paul is saying is, Daddy! We cry out in a loud voice, Daddy! Dad! Father! Right in the middle of all of this, the spirit inside of us allows us to cry out, Daddy! To boldly approach a dad that we know is deeply committed and deeply in love with us. And then interestingly, then has this next line, moving on to the last one, assurance. Right after that, Paul has this funny line, which is actually deeply profound. He says, as we cry out, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So what's going on in that verse? Well, that word testifies there is the word martyria. It's the word that we get martyr from, those who testify, those who declare truth, right? And it was used in terms of Greek legal battles. And it's the sense of someone, it's like an authoritative witness. You know in that moment in a film where it's all like locked, it's locked up in court and then suddenly they bring in a witness and this witness is the one who was there, who saw, who can give an authoritative account of what had happened. And it's on their word that everything changes. They are the ones that come and they determine the case. Well, that is the word that Paul is using for testifiers. So what is happening? Well, Paul understands that everything he's just said is going to be the most contested truth in the whole of the universe. That we are co-heirs with Christ. That we are God's children that we have received divine sonship, that we have an inheritance, that we have a security, that we have an assurance. And so quite literally what Paul is saying is not only is the Spirit the one that comes in and says, Abba, Father, but as you proclaim it, the Spirit comes alongside you with his hand on your back. And when your sin and your shame and your brokenness and the enemy and the world tries to say, that can't be true, The very Spirit comes and whispers in your ear, that is true. That's the gospel. The Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Next time you sing, good, good Father, remember that as you proclaim those words, not only is it through the Spirit you proclaim them, but as you proclaim them, the Spirit comes next to you, where sin and guilt and shame fill your head when they want you to lower your eyes, the Spirit comes in next to you with his hand on your back and he says, it is true. It is true. The Spirit testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. A truth so powerful, a reality so inconceivable and wonderful that the Spirit's job on earth, one of them is to come along and to give you the full assurance that it is true, that you are the children of God. I'd love to, um, to get the band back up. What we're going to do is we're going to go into a time of worship. My hope is that as we begin to explore these truths, that as you worship, that you get a greater revelation of what it means to be a child of God. But as we do, I just want to, if you'll allow me, I just want to geek out on theology a little bit. And um, give me a wave if you're happy with that. Yeah, you guys love it. Yeah, geeking out on theology. So Paul ends, the last thing that we read was this thing, all of creation groans as in childbirth for the revealing of the sons of God. So Paul, we know, he was a scholar of the Old Testament. He knew it well, particularly the Psalms, parts of Isaiah, the Torah, and Genesis. Regularly, if you look into it, he draws on all of those ancient texts in terms of revealing his theology, his understanding of God. And so what Paul is doing is that he understands that in Genesis and the fall coming in, not only was there the removal of blessing, but there was actually the reversal of blessing. What does he mean by that? Well, it's easy to understand with Eve, right? So childbirth is meant to literally bring forth life. Yeah? It's the way that the woman brings forth life into the world. And then death and decay come into the world. And that which was meant to bring life, we read, now increases pain and brings in death. The blessing got reversed in the fall. So what about for Adam. Well, it says that for Adam, the ground was meant to yield for him a fruit, right? So the ground is the thing that brings forth life, brings forth sustenance. And so what happens in the fall? Well, we read that it is by the sweat of his brow that now Adam will till the soil. Now, by the sweat of the brow, what it doesn't mean is hard work. What it means is the sweat that you get from there being a fear of lack. There not being enough. And so what was meant to be a blessing that was meant to bring forth life in the fall is reversed and it brings death, death and decay. And so what is Paul saying? Well, Paul is saying that creation knows that it was made to serve the image bearers of God. And suddenly in the fall, something went deeply wrong with creation and now the image bearers who were meant to be blessed by the soil die and are buried into it creation knows that that's not right and so it groans in childbirth because it is trying to spit the image bearers back out the revealing of the sons of God those that have received the spirit of God they weren't meant to be buried in the creation that was made for them And so we live in this period of now and not yet, knowing that one day creation, right now it groans in childbirth, but it groans in a hope that one day the sons and daughters of the living God will be revealed and all of creation will be set right again. Children of God, the apex of creation and the very goal of redemption. Creation put right. And so if you would stand with me quickly, we're going to go into a time of worship and I'd love to pray for you. I'd love to pray that you would get a greater revelation of what it means to be a child of God. One thing I've noticed in lockdown as worlds have become smaller, is that as I've been pastoring people and journeying with people and walking with them, Guilt and shame just seems to be having a field day in people's lives. There's something about the world becoming smaller that just means that people are sort of dwelling more on their shortcomings. And so I'd love to proclaim the truth to you that you still come before the unconditional love of a father with a full assurance that the very Spirit of God whispers in your ear, it's true, it's true. It's true. So as we sing this next song, know if you've proclaimed Christ in your life, it means that you're a receiver of the Spirit of God. He's breathed his Spirit into you, that you have divine adoption and the very Spirit works alongside you to declare to you that it is done. And so Lord Jesus, we thank you that when you died on that cross, The goal is that you would bring us back into the family, not as slaves, not even as servants, Lord Jesus, but as sons and daughters. And God, as we look on the doorstep, we see creation groaning as in childbirth, knowing that something went wrong. But Lord Jesus, we look forward to the day when all of creation would see the revealing of the sons of God. And as we wait, Lord Jesus, would you help us to step into the full revelation of that. In your mighty and powerful name. Amen.